Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Johan Freight fights to get on the road again. My only hope is that on the way to court, they don't run into a bridge. The trucking company challenges the province to reinstate its license and the premier's blistering response. Car-free zones coming to the heart of Gastown. This is a real opportunity for Vancouver to become a more pedestrian-friendly city. Vancouver Council's vote to put pedestrians first. And driven to frustration. You have to, you have to wait your turn. Why roundabouts have a bad rap in BC and how ICBC hopes to turn things around. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The parole board will not be imposing any new conditions on high-risk sex offender Randall Hopley when he is released from custody. Hopley was the subject of a Canada-wide arrest warrant after walking away from custody last fall. Our Alyssa Thibault joins us in the newsroom with more on this developing story. Alyssa, the Premier says he is not happy about the parole board's decision. Yeah, in fact, David Eby says he cannot fathom that Hopley would be released at all. Now, you may remember Hopley was last arrested on November 14th, 10 days after walking away from his Vancouver halfway house and cutting off his electronic monitoring bracelet. He has been held in custody ever since. Hopley has a long criminal history with 26 convictions, including sexual offences and ch crimes against children. He is currently under a 10-year long-term supervision order. Police say he poses a significant risk to re-offend. And even though the parole board calls his recent behaviour highly concerning, he will be released back into the community under the same conditions he had before walking away from his halfway house. Have a listen to the Premier's reaction. He broke that bracelet off, wandered off into community, and terrified parents across the province that he was going to show up in their house in the middle of the night and take their kids just like he did before. And I am one of those parents. And now we find out that he's been released again with the same conditions. Um, clearly there is something that is not working here. Clearly there is a problem here. And the problem is definitely Randall Hopley, uh, but it is also a system that allows him to continually be released back into our community to put kids at risk. It's not acceptable. And EB adds he will be reaching out to the federal government. We don't know when Hopley will be released. When it does, he will be bound by conditions. Hopley must reside in a halfway house under a curfew and wear an electronic monitoring bracelet. He is not allowed to have contact with or even be near kids or have access to the internet or pornography. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Alyssa Tebow reporting live tonight. Now, new details have been released from a civil suit against a former Vancouver police detective and convicted sex offender. The documents, previously protected by the courts, allege Jim Fisher may have victimized more women, two of whom are part of the civil suit. Catherine Urquhart reports. 
In 2018, former VPD detective Jim Fisher was jailed for 20 months after pleading guilty to two counts of breach of trust and one count of sexual exploitation. Now, newly released court documents reveal disturbing allegations from two additional young women, which never resulted in charges. The Crown whittled the allegations down to an even smaller group of accusations or allegations. The guilty pleas are, in my view, the tip of the iceberg. Jason Grattle is representing the two women in a civil suit against Fisher and the city of Vancouver, which acts for the Vancouver Police Department. It was launched in 2019, but many allegations were unknown due to publication bans. In the newly released documents, it's alleged that while Fisher was with the counter-exploitation unit, he coerced sexual favors from the women who were sex trafficking victims. The Vancouver Police Department counter-exploitation unit was set up specifically for, uh, to establish trust between very vulnerable, street-involved girls with a history of abuse. Among the allegations, one woman says... The first incident occurred in a vehicle outside a residence. The second occurred in the visitor parking lot at Grouse Mountain. Another woman says she was sexually assaulted in his vehicle. Investigators determined through a search of Fisher's cellular phone, the search of her phone, it shows Fisher in the area. I certainly believe there are other, uh, other victims aside from the girls that uh, Mr. Fisher was convicted of abusing. When contacted by Global News, Fisher stated by email, I have no further comments in regard to matters that are still before the courts. Can we talk to you about the breach of your conditions? Allegations are denied in statements of defense filed by Fisher and the City of Vancouver, and none of the allegations have been proven in court. Meanwhile, Fisher is due in Port Coquitlam Provincial Court next week. He allegedly breached conditions related to his status as a registered sex offender by not reporting a secondary address. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A suspended trucking company is suing the B.C. government to get its fleet back on the road. Johan Freight Forwarders had its license suspended at the end of December after one of its trucks slammed into an overpass on Highway 99. And as Kristen Robinson reports, that was the sixth incident linked to the company in the past two years. Johan Trucking allows commercial vehicle safety and enforcement branch staff into its yard as the company seeks to overturn a suspension which halted its BC operations in late December after six overpass crashes in two years. The company thinks that they should be still able to operate and they're going to court uh, to challenge uh, our prohibition on their operating until they figure out how high bridges are and how high their trucks are. My only hope is that on the way to court, they don't run into a bridge. In a BC Supreme Court petition, Chohan Freight Forwarders claims as a result of the suspension, its 63 drivers and affiliated owner-operators, many of whom are the sole income for their families, became unable to work and suffered corresponding economic hardship. The company says it's losing more than $1 million a week and has already lost clients and contracts, some in the range of 2 to $3 million in value, along with reputational harm. Chohan's operations were initially suspended in June 2022 after the fifth overpass hit but lifted later that month after the company implemented a safety action plan. On December 28th of last year, 
a Chohan-branded truck struck a sixth overpass on Highway 99 in Delta. It is absolutely the driver's fault. He was not told to move ahead. He was not told to proceed with hope. Any sort of permit. The civil claim against the Transportation Ministry alleges Chohan's owner-operator called dispatch for instructions when he realized his load was over height, then got on the road contrary to company directions. Our organization did exactly what they were supposed to do. There are circumstances when honest mistakes get made. There are circumstances when uh, individuals act outside their scope of duties or knowledge. And then there are circumstances when there's a deeper problem. And that's why we, uh, we look to the ministry. The Transportation Ministry says further enforcement action is being considered. Chohan claims it's in limbo because until its safety certificate is formally canceled, it can't appeal the suspension. None of the allegations has been proven in court. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver's historic gas town will have a much different look and feel this summer. City Council voted to turn parts of a major thoroughfare into a car-free zone. Angela Jung is live in Gastown with more on this pilot project. Angela. Chris, City Council voted unanimously in favor of this pilot project. I'm here at Water and Carroll Streets. We've been seeing a stream of cars go by. It's a little quiet now, but trust me, lots of cars behind me. So it's hard to imagine that this is one of the proposed car-free areas. The vision is by making Gastown more pedestrian-friendly and car-free, it will help make the neighborhood more vibrant. There will be more street furniture and planters and patios can be expanded. It's all part of a long-term plan to revitalize the area. Being car-free will happen on select days or weekends in July and August. The two car-free areas are Maple Tree Square and Water Street from Richards to Canby Streets. The so-called car light area where tour buses can do drop-offs is along Water Street, Canby through Abbott to Carroll. I think that this is a real opportunity for Vancouver to become a more pedestrian-friendly city and invest in our public spaces. Uh, we see a lot of excitement uh, about other cities around the world, um, as close to home as Victorian Government Street being more pedestrianized. In our conversations with um, San Diego and Gaslamp, our conversations in Montreal and Montreal, yes, they have seen more people on their streets, but that does not equate to dollars in the tills all right, so it launches, this pilot program does, in the summer. What are the next steps after that, Angela? Well, there may be another pilot, um, another pilot summer 2025, and city councillors are really optimistic. They're hoping that this will be successful, and if it is, then this area being car-free will be implemented in phases the following year. Councillors really want to see Gastown as a hot spot, especially by the time Vancouver hosts the World Cup. Back to you. Yeah. Could be a lot of people gathering down there for sure. Okay, thanks, Angela. Well, if you've ever found yourself gripping the steering wheel just a little bit tighter when you enter a roundabout, you're not alone. That's right. A new survey shows traffic circles make some drivers pretty nervous, but they are a lot safer and we should embrace them because more are on the way. John Waugh has the story. It's breaking in on bike lane territory. Sometimes I feel like they're pointless. Clue in. Causing more frustration than the zipper merge. It's kind of like a foreign object people aren't used to. This traffic feature has tempers flaring and road rage rising. 
So why do roundabouts get a bad rap here in British Columbia? They don't stay in their lane, so they'll somewhat go in the inner lane of the roundabout and unfortunately you know, it causes a bit of confusion. ICBC partnering up with Ipsos on a new online survey that's centered on this intersection alternative. And that's because they're frustrated with other drivers, not the actual roundabout itself, but the behaviors of other drivers as they approach. And when it comes to circling through roundabouts, the survey shows you've really got to chalk it up to driver confidence. 57% of respondents say they felt confident navigating through single lane roundabouts. That drops to 29% with multi-lane roundabouts. And 15% of drivers say they actually have difficulty knowing who has the right of way. Because we have so few roundabouts in, on our BC roads, that kind of increases um, the confusion for people. The top two reasons that have drivers using roundabouts seeing red, people not yielding to vehicles that have the right of way and failing to signal as they're about to exit. Just not paying attention to the other cars that are already going first. And it works very well in Europe. I've spent some time in Europe and, you know, that's, I think it's the right way to keep traffic flowing. While some roundabouts have been removed in cities like Pitt Meadows and Abbotsford, ICBC insists they are proven to reduce crashes and the severity of injuries. That's why the public insurer is circling back on education. So decrease your speed and make sure you know where you're going. So if you're going at left, then get into the left turn lane. If you're going right, get into the right lane. And never switch lanes in the roundabout unless you really want to ruin someone's day. John Hua, Global News. The provincial government is clamping down on the sale of a product controversially marketed as a smoking cessation tool, but easily available to children. As Ramina Dea reports, the company that makes the flavored nicotine pouches says the new regulations won't be effective. Chill mint or tropic breeze. Pick your flavor. Zonin Canada maintains its nicotine pouches are tobacco-free, a replacement therapy which can help you quit smoking, not intended for kids. The B.C. government convinced the products pose a threat to children. A kid that wants to buy it can't just grab it off the shelf and take it up to the cashier at the local convenience store. They have to go to the pharmacy counter. A ministerial order effective immediately, says the health minister. No more sales of nicotine pouch products at convenience stores, gas stations or groceries. School officials say the products are making their way into backpacks. If they're using it typically for the sensation that they get from the nicotine. So um, because it looks similar to um, a package of mints, um, it's really easy for them to have it in their pocket. It's really easy for them to have in a backpack. Um, looking at it, you wouldn't think it's a nicotine product. Um, and it comes also in the different flavors. We're disappointed that Zonic and our product has been paid, uh, painted in a way that is inaccurate. Imperial Tobacco Canada says its products, which are Health Canada approved, are sold behind the counter and not to children. If the real concern was, you know, um, kids getting access to nicotine, the question you need to ask Premier Ebby is why hasn't this been announced for every other nicotine product that is already available in convenience stores and that is not behind the counter? The B.C. government says the pouches contain up to four milligrams of nicotine, equivalent to the amount absorbed from three to four cigarettes. Health Canada tells Global News it approved Zonic as a natural health product. Last July, based on evidence, it's helping adults quit smoking. 
Given recent concerns about youth access, the federal body says it is monitoring the situation. Romina Dea, Global News. BC cracks down on crypto miners. We want to make sure that we're using electricity for the values that British Columbians really, really care about. In the heart of lumber country, how Hydro pulled the plug on a so-called high-performance computer operation, saying it would suck up too much power. How the company behind it tried to fight the ruling. Next on the News Hour. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Your curly hair can do a lot of things. Young sisters build a business as hair influencers. Coming up later on the News Hour. And plastic guns that fire real bullets. How investigators stopped the threat from this 3D printing operation. Still to come tonight. Right now, though, a cryptocurrency mining company has lost its bid to overturn the province's temporary court ban on providing power to cryptocurrency miners. It comes amid a boom in the industry, but also as B.C. seeks to preserve its electricity supply. Aaron MacArthur reports. It is big business with an insatiable appetite for power. Mining for cryptocurrency has become a booming industry in B.C., so much so that a forestry company, Conifex, has made the move to diversify its operation in Mackenzie, applying to BC Hydro for a connection to launch what is known as a high-performance computer operation. That application was stalled when at the beginning of 2023, the BC government paused all new hydro connections for crypto operations for 18 months. The energy minister saying the vast computer networks use too much power and what was in the pipeline would have dwarfed the core needs of this province. We want to make sure that we're using electricity for the values that British Columbians really, really care about. Conifex launched a civil suit against the government arguing the order in council was illegal. Friday, the B.C. Supreme Court ruled in the government's favour. Justice Michael Tamman writing, the OIC merely paused consideration of interconnection requests by large cryptocurrency projects to permit government to consider and consult. That was not an unreasonable exercise of the power granted to the lieutenant governor and council. Conifex never responded to requests for an interview, but did write in a statement, Conifex continues to believe that the provincial government is missing out on several opportunities available to it to improve energy affordability, accelerate technological innovation, strengthen the reliability and resiliency of the power distribution grid in British Columbia, and achieve more inclusive economic growth. According to a BC Hydro affidavit, Conifex's operation would use as much as 2.5 million megawatt hours of electricity every year, or enough to power more than half a million homes far more than the combined 1.5 million megawatt hours per year used by the seven currently operating crypto mining operations in BC. When the OIC suspended new connections, there were 21 more projects in the queue that could have consumed another 12 million megawatt hours every year. The company is considering its legal options and hasn't ruled out an appeal. A framework for the crypto industry is expected from government in the spring. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
Just ahead, a rural BC community feeling cut off. Apparently there was no plan and we are just losing our landline service. Residents get short notice their phone service is going away with few other options to connect. And the government launches a new portal to check pay equity at Canadian companies, helping close the gender gap. People in a rural community just north of Kamloops say they are about to lose their home telephone service. TELUS plans to cut it off next month. They've been offered some compensation, but say it's not just about the money. Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa is here with more. And those landlines are really lifelines for many people there. Absolutely. Thanks, Sophie. The landlines are vital. After March 8th, dozens of rural households in North Kamloops won't have access to them. While TELUS is offering compensation and options with other service providers, some residents tell Consumer Matters they feel abandoned. North of Kamloops, a conventional communications connection is about to be lost. TELUS sending notices is disconnecting its landline telephone service to approximately 63 residents after March 8th. That was a big surprise. <laughs> so we had no idea that was coming. Barbara Hetherington is president of the local community association, 25 kilometers outside of Kamloops, and says the landline system is currently hardwired to a small shed which beams out to a receiving station. But that system, she says, is making way for 5G cellular service. TELUS has offered affected customers $1,400 in compensation to help set up service with an alternate provider, a satellite solution. But for those on fixed incomes, the transition, Barbara says, comes at a cost with monthly bills potentially skyrocketing. For most of us, moving to another provider such as a satellite service, which is our only option, is maybe okay, but there are people up here who going from that $26 TELUS bill a month to $170 for a, an internet to have communication is pretty unfair. Those providers are ExploreNet and Elon Musk's Starlink. Area residents like Jim Gillingham says those are not good options and can't believe Canada's broadcasting regulator, the CRTC, would allow losing their landline to happen. I don't feel like I should have to utilize an American company to have tele telecommunications in Canada. That seems very counterintuitive. In an email statement, TELUS told Consumer Matters in part, Spectrum is used to provide a number of services. In this case, 3.5 gigahertz Spectrum, which is currently being used to support TELUS home phone service in certain remote areas, is being repurposed by the government for use in 5G wireless services. But while some residents say they cannot afford the transition, others are also worried about safety. The area is prone to wildfires as seen in the 2021 Spark Lake wildfire near Chris Creek. And the province confirms if devices are not connected to LTE, 4G or 5G cellular networks, they won't receive BC emergency alerts. The internet relies on the electricity and if we should lose that, if somebody hits a power pole, if there's a forest fire that takes the hydro we lose all communications. The CRTC has told Consumer Matters is concerned by this situation and is in communication with TELUS and Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada to gather more information and determine next steps. But that's little consolation for rural residents who say they'll keep fighting to get a cellular tower in the area.
TELUS ALSO TOLD US IT'S LOOKING AT ALTERNATIVE SUPPORT TO ENSURE EMERGENCY SITUATIONS CAN BE ADDRESSED. STILL, IN RECENT CORRESPONDENCE WITH THE CRTC, TELUS STATED IT DOES NOT HAVE AN OBLIGATION TO SERVE COMMUNITIES FOR INTERNET FACILITIES OR MOBILE DEVICES. THE COMPANY ALSO STATED AT THIS TIME TELUS DOES NOT PLAN TO EXPAND FIBER-BASED SERVICES OR MOBILE SERVICES TO THE AFFECTED COMMUNITIES. AND IF YOU HAVE A CONSUMER ISSUE, YOU CAN EMAIL ME AT CONSUMERMATTERS AT globalnews.ca. All right, thanks very much, Ann. The federal government has unveiled a new tool to take aim at pay inequity, a portal showing which companies are closing the wage gap. And as Global's Ann Gaviola explains, labor experts say it's a good starting point, but there's more work to do. The days of compensation discussions only behind closed doors are coming to an end. HR and labor law expert Laura Williams says attitudes have changed. They want to know that they can trust their employer. They want to know that their employer is fair. And compensation is one of those metrics that indicates fairness within the workplace. Friday, the federal government unveiled Equivision, a pay transparency portal that it calls the first of its kind in the world. Breaking down compensation in federally regulated industries such as banking, telecommunications and transportation highlighting pay discrepancies based on gender, ethnicity, and whether or not you live with a disability. Notably, the greatest gender pay gap is in financial services, where women make 82 cents for every dollar earned by a man. The CEO of advocacy group Women in Capital Markets says we're seeing slow progress. We need to ensure that women are, pay, are being paid equitably to men in like-for-like -like jobs. We need to make sure that women have the same access to promotion opportunities. And then we also need to think about the caregiving burden. Corporate Nights, the sustainable economy media company, says Equivision is a good starting point, but lacks specifics on how much diversity there is when you compare the top earners to the lower ranks. You still have a lot of pale, male and stale folks earning the, uh, the lion's share. BC, PEI, Newfoundland and Labrador have all enacted pay transparency requirements with Ontario laws in the works. The hope is that Equivision is part of a larger movement towards greater pay transparency and ultimately pay equity. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Up next, plastics with a deadly purpose. Where investigators found these 3D printed firearms and what happened to the person they arrested. Plus, Advocacy and leadership is really what drives me. BC United recruits a rising star in provincial politics. What Claudine Stornes Bliss brings to the party. One man has been arrested after police seized several 3D printed firearms from a home in Prince George. Investigators with the provincial anti-gang unit seized these firearms after executing a search warrant at the home on Monday. They also seized a 3D printer, ammunition and U.S. currency believed to be counterfeit. The man who was arrested has since been released pending further investigation and possible charges. Burnaby RCMP are asking the public to check their yards, sheds and garages for a missing 46-year-old man. Anderson Cheng was last seen near Nelson Avenue and McKee Place at around one o'clock the morning of February 1st. He's five foot two, 90 pounds, and has short hair. RCMP say he has several health concerns and usually doesn't go out alone. Up until
until last night. It's been quite mild. Uh, we believe uh, Anderson might have looked for shelter just to stay warm. We know he doesn't like the cold. We're especially asking anyone that lives in the neighborhood between Rumble and Marine and between Frogger Creek uh, Ravine Park and Gray Ravine Park. It's not a huge area. If you live in that area or close to that area, please just check your yard. Anyone with information on Cheng's whereabouts is asked to contact Burnaby RCMP. BC United has revealed a star candidate ahead of the fall provincial election. Dr. Claudine Stornis Bliss will run in the Surrey-Cloverdale riding. She's an obstetrician at Surrey Memorial Hospital and, as Richard Zussman reports, is well known for speaking out about the crisis in the healthcare system. I'm running to be your BC United MLA for Surrey-Cloverdale. It could be just what the doctor ordered to cure BC United's pulling woes. I don't think that you can run healthcare without really understanding it. As political parties prepare for October's election, BC United announcing a star candidate, Dr. Claudine Storness Bliss, an OBGYN at Surrey Memorial Hospital and a vocal critic of the healthcare system running in Surrey Cloverdale. Having someone with those capabilities that's prepared to step forward and say, I want to run and I want to try and fix healthcare is just uh, enormously positive. Falcon recruiting Stornis Bliss as healthcare shapes up to be one of the biggest campaign issues. Not only is she a doctor, but a former department head who's been raising concerns over overcrowding, understaffing, and risks to patients at Surrey Memorial. Her big goal to cut down on the bureaucracy in the healthcare system. We need to sort of shave the top of the pyramid, if you will. We have way too many administrators in healthcare. I think what put us over the top is... The writing is currently held by NDP MLA Mike Starchuk. Surrey Memorial doctors put enough pressure on the province. Eventually, a new strategy was brought in by Health Minister Adrian Dix. A 30-point action plan, including hiring more resources and expanding the hospital's satellite emergency department. Dix welcoming Stornis Bliss to politics. I think all of that is a good thing. I would say with respect to healthcare in Surrey, um, what the government's, the government's agenda is remarkably ambitious. Considering the lack of doctors, Stornis Bliss says she will continue to see patients, even if elected. So my patients will be taken care of. And when government's not in session, I will continue to work as a clinician. I will just have to stop doing all of the other things that I had been doing in terms of leadership in the hospital. Vote for the party. And as she continues to deliver babies, Stornis Bliss hoping to deliver something else, a victory in battleground Surrey. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And continuing on the topic of health care, a small rally took place outside the B.C. legislature today demanding better health care for people living with eating disorders. Because I'm rushing off to stand with my friend who is in hospice, who is dying of her eating disorder. I'm wearing her scarf because she cannot be here and she will not be alive by the time the next eating disorder awareness week rolls around. She will have already been failed by the system that has failed her for decades. Powerful words at today's rally organized by the group Vancouver Island Voices for Eating Disorders. Organizers say they want to see better and increased health care services for people who struggle with eating disorders and more funding for eating disorder support groups. The current treatment options are not meeting our needs and we are asking for help at elevating our voices so that every person struggling with an eating disorder has access to the treatment that will meet their individual needs and goals. The rally comes on the last day of Eating Disorders Awareness Week. 
Coming up, deep trouble after a deep freeze. We're kind of almost beyond the point of no return. Creston Valley farmers and other growers cry out for help after a killer winter. Plus... Welcome to my YouTube channel. I'm Curly Kyra. That's how it all started. Montreal sisters making waves in the hair industry. If you look forward to those juicy BC peaches and apricots every summer, we have some bad news. The cold snap was a crop killer. Fruit growers say they may not produce anything this year. Cassidy Moscone has the details and the possibly bleak outlook for other crops as well. We're kind of almost beyond the point of no return. It's a full year of no winemaking. The most extensive uh, freeze damage I've ever experienced in my life. A chorus of farmers crying out for help. Whether it's vines or tree fruits, no sector has been spared in what growers are calling a climate crisis. It was more or less what you would call a perfect storm. A mild winter snap frozen in an Arctic blast last month has completely wiped out Creston Valley farmer Frank Walker's operation. Every one of those samples showed 100% bud kill. And that was on peaches, on apricots, on cherries and nectarines and plums. Without a doubt, you won't be seeing peaches and apricots this year, or very few. Remy Cardinal from Redbird Estate Winery has lost his season's grapes, forced to diversify into cider making to stay alive. We still have all the infrastructure, the staff to pay, but we don't have this revenue for next year. What the industry needs now is help from consumers. This is the year to buy local. Don't go to the big chain, buy local, buy from the growers, far, from the farmers. And government. There is an emergency program called Agri-Recovery. It was used during the Fraser Valley flood. It'll allow growers to hopefully do some replanting and uh, compensate for some of the losses. My assurance to farmers and farm communities and British Columbians is that we will uh, be supporting uh, those farmers as they rebuild. We understand the importance of the industry and uh, the challenges that they face. Promises farmers' livelihoods depend on. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Mm, second time in what, the past three years or so it's happened. December 21, Christy reminded us, uh, us was very similar with a freeze like that. Yeah, so, I mean, it was a bit of a different time of year. Like, they were saying that, you know, it was very mild all December long, and then all of a sudden it got super cold in January, whereas the cold snap in 2021 was in December. I don't know if that makes a difference, but I do remember numerous uh, people in through the Okanagan, farmers in the Okanagan, um, uh, complaining about uh, crops being damaged, widespread damage in that area. So, very interesting, as you said. It's been a couple years now in a row that we've had that. Um, so we'll be watching climate change certainly impacting our region. Now it's a pleasant evening out there indeed. Temperatures and conditions have back, come back to near seasonal values. This was the day today. I thought I would look back at it because we did have some blue sky today. But we well know that we need near seasonal values, but we also need 
uh, some moisture for the mountains. So as we look into tomorrow, we've got mainly cloudy skies, slight chance of showers. We don't have substantial moisture in store for us. In fact, Friday, we'll see a little bit of blue sky, hoping for some moisture as we head into the weekend. But overall, the trend is not going to bring much. So we may see a couple of centimeters of snow for the Coquihalla tomorrow, but that's about it. And it may bring a sprinkle or two of so uh, or a flurry or two of snowfall for the local mountains. But generally, we're looking at uh, not a lot. Here, looking at southern regions, mainly cloudy and mainly dry through the Okanagan Valley. We'll see flurries changing over to showers and through the Columbia Kootenai region, but mainly dry. A uh, little bit of cloud cover for Vancouver Island and for our region, a slight chance of showers, a little bit more so out through the Fraser Valley. So a high of eight degrees for your day tomorrow. We'll start off with sunshine Friday morning, end up with a bit of cloud cover. So far, mainly cloudy, but dry Sunday, sorry, Saturday, Sunday's looking wet. I know we've got the uh, parade, the lunar uh, lunar New Year parade. Sorry, I was getting confused with that. As well as Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, we've got a couple of things going on on Sunday and it is looking rainy. There's our weather window for tonight from Boundary Bay. Thank you to Peter Skur that from for sharing that with us. Peter's a very um, regular contributor. Nice. So thank you so much, Peter. Thanks, Peter. And thanks, Christy. All right. Uh, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. Squire? Well, Rick Talkett was very happy Elias Lindholm scored two power play goals last night against Carolina, but he loved the fact that he was in front of the net for both of those goals. Those are goals you have to get in the power play in, in, in tight games. The tic-tac-toes don't happen very often late in the season. Lindholm had a pretty deft touch, tipping in a Quinn Hughes shot that was going wide. This is what the Canucks need on the power play going forward. Soft hands also coming up. I wanted to show other little girls and other people that their hair is beautiful. Young sisters start a business that's head and shoulders above the rest. Being in the right place at the right time, Squire. Mm -hmm. Well, and um, another, I mean, everything just seems to be going right with the Canucks this year. Everything. And Elias Lindholm's debut with Vancouver was right up there with Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, another good debut album. The Canucks thought getting him over a month before the trade deadline would give him ample time to assimilate with his new team. But apparently, all he needed was two practices and a pregame warm-up to assimilate. What's amazing is Lindholm was given lots of work in his first game, and he was fine with that. Not just two power play goals. He led all forwards in ice time. He played both power play and penalty kill, even blocked three shots. He came exactly as advertised, and immediately, immediately, he got Rick Tockett's confidence. You know, there was a minute left or two, you know, I said, I was telling him, you know, he just got off, and I was telling him something about a switch. And he was, yep, I got it. Like, just, you know, sometimes you get guys, whoa, whoa hang on a sec, you know, and they start to, not panic, but they're like, they get antsy, and he was just, like, very calm. And, um, you know. I mean, he's played 800 games. Or is that, I think it's 800 games. So the guy's a seasoned guy. Now tomorrow, the Canucks have a heavyweight bout with Boston. Top two teams in the NHL. Last night, the Bruins actually lost to Andre Kuzmenko in the Calgary Flames. And like Elias Lindholm, Kuzmenko had a great debut with his new team. He scored a goal and was given the game puck by his new teammates afterwards. Hey, boy. Way to start a road trip. Kuzi. Thanks. Go to playoffs. 
That's optimistic. The uh, Whitecaps play a Champions Cup game tonight in Langford against one of the better teams in Mexico, Tigris. It's a two-game total goal series. Next week, they'll play down in Monterey, where it will be warmer. Uh, Vanny Sartini hopes these games against the top team will prepare his club for the Major League Soccer season. He hopes they come out of the gate because of this much better this year. I Hopefully, he will help us to have a better start than the two starts that I had of head coach. It's not that hard to do a better start than the other two. So, so let's say that, uh, that we will try to, uh, to do it this season. Of course, he has a suspension at the start of the MLS season. Clancy Grandy will be the BC skip again when the Scotties' Tournament of Hearts starts on February 16th. She's a veteran of this event, and the team she's bringing from Vancouver is a contender. They played well last year, and Clancy tells us that all three of her teammates have something valuable to contribute. Sarah is super steady. Um, she's calm, and she brings that, like, just kind of comfort and trust for the rest of us on the team. Lindsay brings a little bit of, like, fire and a little bit of energy, a um, little bit of, like, a cheerleader, which every team needs. Kayla is a third. Like, you have to be able to make all of the shots, and she has that ability to do. And you like to be in control? Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess you could say maybe, yeah. Team Grandy swept their way through the opposition going undefeated to win the BC Provincial Scotties Championship. Now skip Clancy Grandy and her rink have their sights set on the Scotties Tournament of Hearts beginning next week in Calgary. One thing that we tried to do this season was the way that we prepare and the way that we train and practice. Um, and I think that that actually has given us the most confidence and we just feel really prepared. We feel like we've put in the work that's needed. Um, and I think that's where we're drawing a lot of our confidence from. And what no mistake shot. from Clancy Grandy. This is a team on the rise. In winning back-to-back -back BC titles, the Grandy rink is showing the success they're capable of delivering now that they're full-time athletes, ones that are well-sponsored and funded by Curling Canada. For two years now, they've competed against the best in the world, and it clearly shows. This year we decided as a team that we would all curl full-time, so that was definitely a big leap of faith that we took but we all trusted each other that we wanted to be in this 100 percent um so in doing so we spent countless hours on the ice training one two times a day as a full team all four members and that's something that a lot of teams don't do in canada so we're special that way i would guess i love playing with these girls they're my best friends on and off the ice i think that's why we've been so successful um we always joke we actually like each other and I think that makes the game a lot easier. Now comes their biggest challenge of the season, becoming the first rink from BC since 2006 to win the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. We're going to go into the event as prepared as we can be. Um, I think we definitely have the ability to make playoffs and then from there anything can happen. So we're just going to put our best performance forward and see how that goes. If you could dream of what you wanted to do, like being a curler and like this is our passion and the fact that we actually get to do this full time is pretty unbelievable. Um, so we're just kind of trying to enjoy every moment we get with it. Good luck to them. Mm -hmm. And that's all from here. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Up next, social media sisters, the young natural hair influencers inspiring their thousands of followers.
Well, February is Black History Month, a month to honor the rich contributions of black people throughout our past and in the present. Tonight, two enterprising young sisters from Montreal are using social media to prove that it is possible to do great things no matter how old you are. Stop! I'm trying to figure out what you do to make a restart. In many ways, sisters Kyra, 11, and Kali, 7, are like most other preteens, focusing on the simple things. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but these two also have a serious side that is getting worldwide attention. Germany, Italy. They have a thriving business selling hair products and other accessories. It's called coily curls, a reference to their curly hair. I wanted to show other little girls and other people that their hair is beautiful, your natural hair is great. Welcome to my YouTube channel. Everything started when she was just five with her mother posting her hair tutorials on YouTube. The online following started to skyrocket and Kyra began getting sponsorships as a natural hair influencer. She's worked with Barbie Canada, Michaels, H&M, Sephora. She worked with over, so far, 300 brands. Three years ago, Kyra decided she wanted to sell her own products. <laughs> By then, her clownish sister was old enough to work with her, so they started the business. They chose the colors, they chose the name. Basically, everything about the business is the girls. It's just me doing handling the day-to-day, -day, so I deal with the customers. The girls have clients across the globe, thanks to their social media exposure. The kids don't own phones and the family never discusses how much they make. For Kyra, it's about helping young girls embrace their curly hair. Your curly hair can do a lot of things. Yes, you can straighten it, but you can also make a bunch of different styles. Their father is proud of the example the girls are setting for others. They're working towards a goal. They're um, recognizing what it is that they want out of life. And the sisters say they are learning. As I said, I still do school and sports and stuff. So how to manage your time, um, how to be more... <laughs> and figuring out important life lessons together. Phil Carpenter, Global News, St. Hubert. The, the younger one is quite energetic. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to have a business partner who has yeah. energy like that, I'm energy. sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Good for them. Okay, last word on weather before we go, Christy. We are expecting mainly cloudy skies tomorrow. It's really only a slight chance of showers, but certainly keep your rain jacket handy just in case. Brighter skies expected by Friday morning. Sounds good. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.